<laughs> okay, you ready? I'm ready, bro. Okay. <laughs> Caption box, bro. Woo! Look at mine. Yeah. Oh, that <laughs> nice. <laughs> there we go. Check. All right. One more thing. One more thing. Uh, check this out. Recorded. Damn, recorded. <laughs> <laughs> So, hey, we got all these new toys. We're back. It's been like, what, a month, two months, three months? Who knows? All I know is um, I'm hanging on for dear life. That's all I know. Um, I am uh, I'm stoked that we get to do this this, um, this this chapter finally, though, right? Oh, what a good chapter. It's a good chapter. <laughs> wow. um, I've been hanging on for three weeks, like waiting it's been to three do weeks? it, champing oh. at the bit. Forgot it. Reread it. Forgot it again. <laughs> It's a, well, if any, if we were going to get stuck like that on any particular chapter, this would be the one. Because it's just what I love. I mean, Van Pelt, man. Uh, this guy, this chapter made me a fan because uh, he, he writes clearly, doesn't he? Very clearly. You know, for an for exegetical and guy. expansively. I mean, he covered every topic that could ever be attached. Beautiful. To this issue. Yeah. And juicy, Kleinian bits all over the place. You know, like yeah. just, you know, I, I knew he was a Klein guy from um, his interview with Chris on glory cloud, but, um, you know, just reading this, even if you'd never seen that, you would know, you know, just, just very quickly, ah, you know, he's great. He's grabbed hold of this stuff. And, um, you know, it's just with a, with a certain level of depth, yeah. obviously knowing, knowing the kind of being at that level of Hebrew that Klein was as well. I think he's, he's able to navigate that, you know, comfortably and, and, uh, confidently and, um, and just, yeah, just a very clear, as you say, expansive sort of treatment of the subject, but but just lucid, you know. Just uh, usually when you read those exegetical guys, they, I find they 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 get very very um, bogged uh, down, atomized. Yeah, very. Um, yeah. Uh, they, you know, they they struggle to to make it connect, and, and and you know you don't want them to. You understand they're not trying to be the systematic theologian, but I mean, just to drop the bomb and not do anything with it is kind of a weird a weird angle. So I, I found he hit like a really good blend of mm -hmm. um of just just hitting those details but show, well, he didn't go he didn't go into the systematics of it all he didn't like break it down in terms of its implication but he left you with such a yeah. proper sense Maybe of the what exegetical was basis yeah definitely. exegetical basis but you you kind of know what you needed to do after that you know yeah. you weren't and you if weren't no flooding. one knows what we're talking about we're talking about the noe covenant of the covenant of grace if no one knows what we're talking about they should leave right now <laughs> they're not welcome um we are yeah we are going through our essays that we probably are going to spend the next millennia on uh just uh looking at covenant theology and um what is this book called have you got it in front of you there nick no not in front of me covenant theology biblical theological historical perspectives yeah um and this one is written by this essay is written by miles v van pelt he is the hebrew guy you probably uh you probably saw him there 
Um, and he's at ITS, I think, lecturing Hebrew right now. So, um, but yeah, I've, I've got his uh, work on biblical theology, edited this a bunch of essays there. Excellent. Did a great thing on Song of Solomon. So I've seen a few things pop up by him at this point. So and it's all, all been stellar. So I'm very excited um, that he is putting out some material these days. Um, all right. Let's uh, take a look at the Noah Covenant. We've already established the importance of this guy, yeah. um, as we we spoke about. What was the guy's name again? Um, Gary Miller was it Miller. Gary Miller, yeah, I think. Uh, and apparently, he's put out another follow up talk to that. Andre said he wanted to get back to that. Okay. Um, but yeah, so Gary Miller mentioned, uh, you know, well, we we looked at his uh, his lecture at some point just and used it as a bit of a springboard to show the importance of the topic. Where does Noah fit into your covenant theology? Into your theology. Yep. And um, and so we come. We we said then we'll circle back to this particular uh, essay, and so that's what we're doing right now. And it just give you a little bit more to grip in on as you process all of this. Um, and um, as we've mentioned already, can't can't recommend the actual essay highly enough. Mm. So if I get around to putting the link, uh, you know, then you can just click on it. Otherwise, just Google the thing. You know, it's easy, guys. Just Google, 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 <laughs> Google. All right, now the Noah Covenant. Of the covenant of grace. That was kind of an interesting. Did you notice that title? Yeah, I did. And I it thought, like, yeah, it's yeah. well put Ooh. because it's. So what it's, it's saying there? Yeah, yeah. Careful. No, no, no. You no, can, no. You do it. No, 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 no. Uh, no, you, no I you. insist. I no, insist. no, no. Really. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> well, you know, just having struggled through this myself, I, I, when I was um, uh, trying to figure out how to lay out uh, a bit of a. A sort of i don't know a working description of covenant theology in my dissertation i was like ah where you know because you could i mean what, what is the right way to say it do you say that the noe covenant is a, a kind of sub-administration or a subservient idea to the pactum salutis i mean because in some ways it is it's yeah. it's really a way to create a space in history for christ's mission you know yeah. and then um or do you want do you want to put it under the, the covenant of grace and really see it as a historical administration of that thing that God's doing with these people. Um, so I ended up going with, with uh, independently of Miles Van Pelt. I'm not sure if that's an established uh, norm probably is, but, but um, I ended up feeling that, that that's a good way to frame it. You know, the Noe covenant is really, it's, it's not redemptive and you got to be clear on that, but it is ultimately connected to what's happening oh, there yeah. with this covenant of grace as that then becomes a, a sort of part of the it's a major turning point developing what the you know in terms of what the covenant grace of grace is working out without mm -hmm. without the noe covenant you've, you've you've lost the stage upon you which the, the drama is working yeah. itself out to quote horton which you probably horton. quoted from Klein. <laughs> it's a good quote so yeah um but yeah i mean i think the stage idea is fantastic because you see the yeah. connection i mean what is the what is the stage to the drama is it important uh, yep, you know, you need it. Is it the drama? You know, if, you, if everyone just buys the ticket and watches the stage, I mean, everyone's going to be a bit disappointed. You need to see the actors on the stage. And so it's not yeah. the drama. And there is a, a legitimate distinction, but they are so uh, tightly uh, woven together. So with that in mind, let me let me start this off by quoting just his great first opening sentence mm. there, just straight for the jugular. Very good. The Noah Covenant recorded in Genesis 9 is a universal, unilateral, non-redemptive administration of the covenant of grace, restoring and securing the principle of common grace in this world that was suspended during the judgment ordeal of the flood. So much. Um, so much going on there. He's going to unpack that. Um, and 
you know, basically the idea again, just showing that that what we have when we talk about the covenant of common grace and the Noahic covenant, which is where, where it's really where it gets formally enacted. It was around before, it's around afterwards, but it gets kind of formally enacted at that point, and um, and that's where the this is what allows the elect and the non-elect to to live together and enjoy, yep. as he says, the stability of a natural world order, and it will come to an end at the end of the age, at the consummation yeah so yeah cool and uh importantly the mm -hmm. flood itself is a suspension yes of the common grace scenario yes. so he's even he's even showing why a flood judgment and as it relates to this, this common grace thing that's going on yeah so yeah just just wonderful yeah. nuances very 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 deep tying closely into uh things we've talked about before klein's typological intrusion idea his yeah. um you know where you've got the kingdom intruding with its judgment and redemptive but we will get there actually with the redemptive judgment he does talk about that a little yeah. bit uh, later on so yeah the suspending of all those norms is in play as you have this major global typology um happening i love the story he doesn't go into uh he doesn't dramatize the whole thing but i do love the idea i mean like you think about uh, i'm pretty sure klein I'm, i must have got this from klein i don't know where else i would have got it, got it from or at least um the 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 nugget of the idea but you know you see you see um i think everyone who reads the bible in genesis you see how it gets to noah you know at some level he is the minority right if if you're not willing to say he was the only him and his family were the only believers on the planet then at least yeah. he was he was in the extreme minority at that point and uh for any number of possible reasons persecution apostasy you know you just got a very real scenario that i think people tend to miss preacher um, of righteousness for 120 years as yeah, there he is. maps out yeah yeah exactly and there he is just going for it you know just i mean my goodness anyone thought they had a tough today you have no idea you know no it really is the is the go-to for what it means to be you know the only preacher guy and, and just uh being solid uh in in all that he's doing and being mocked for it and so forth. But I think, um, you know, just what you, getting to know, you kind of miss well Lamech, you know, and Noah's dad. And I mean, that would have already been true with, with, with Lamech's situation. And, and here you have Lamech who's in the Sethite lineage and, and he's, I mean, he's holding on to Genesis 3.15. He's basically saying, when is this gonna, when is this gonna happen? Cause it's not looking good. Can you imagine uh, being brought to test the, you know your trust in the gospel promise at that point it's looking like you're like among the only believers on the planet literally yeah. uh, it's Very kind of like a, light. Yeah. it's an end of it's a it's a pessimistic amillennial scenario <laughs> isn't it um, battle of armageddon type scenario there it yeah. is you know you're expecting that sort of thing at the end but but you know there's lamech and by his um naming of of noah noah which means rest i mean you have such a vivid for this one will bring us relief from the the, the work of our hands yeah. such a such a vivid re recollection there of of um the curse and the promise of a messiah uh the the seed of the woman so he names his son noah in hopes that he will be the one and um, noah means rest for those who didn't noah, catch it yeah. exactly no it means rest and we know by the time we get to hebrews and of course the whole sabbath thing how important that is so it really is a the expression of hope in the gospel and um and uh as we go through the story of Noah, then that that sets it up really to see what, yeah. what of course even if you didn't know that you've got this amazing obvious typology going on with with Noah. but just yeah. just the fact that you know this man has 
he's not going to be the Messiah, right? Like he's not going to be the ultimate fulfillment of Lamech's hope. He's not going to be the one who who comes along later and says, um, for all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. You know, he's not that guy, but he is rest in the sense that he's pointing to that, uh, that ultimate, um, uh, reality that Christ will yeah. win. I mean, just just zoning into the story, uh, what I appreciated uh, by Van Pelt is just maybe trying to meet out the story a little bit when he mm. mentions that Noah was 500 years old and then he had three sons. Oh man, brilliant. So that, brilliant you know, answer. like Abraham and Sarah, that sterility, that barrenness, that yeah. out of weakness, God's strength is made whole. Yeah. Uh, God's God's strength is, 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 is made known. Yep. That he may he may indicate a, a possible backstory there, which is, you know, yep. in keeping with all of the other events yep. that are very similar. And the thing is, those backstories become front stories at other points. But it's just, and you know, it's just great to see that they're there. They're, they're, they're this yep. pattern, even if they're not being majored on at that point, doesn't mean that they weren't happening. You know, yep. there's this ongoing, just just almost like this repetitive thing. Just in case we missed it the first time, there it is the second <laughs> time. So it's like you almost have like no excuse by the time you get to. Uh, the gospel and uh, Galatians and so forth, where, where you just like, listen, you, this thing has been drummed in so many times. Um, this is, yeah. we, we got a body of is death. the mother of learning and God, <laughs> God is the best teacher in the world. Truly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've got our bodies of death and uh, who will save us from them. And thank God the answer is in Christ. That's the whole thing. Now, um, thinking about what he does here, just going a little bit zooming in, I suppose, with that basic sort of story in place and getting to, because uh, we know, you know, I'm just going to jump over the Nephilim and all that. And, okay. You know, oh, I, I was hoping you'd stop on that. Well, yeah, it, it, I suppose, because it's a long chapter and I'm thinking the, the real uh, significance of this chapter in light of the things we've been talking about yeah. is what he does with the two covenants. Two covenants. Yeah. yeah. Amen. And so I think you have to, you know, for whatever else we touch on, you know, and it's all interesting and we could spend a whole episode on each thing, <laughs> but I don't, Might I don't want to come back to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't want to miss out uh, on that. Um, so, um, you know, with, with Noah, you've got, um, I think these, these, uh, these kind of, um, I, I, well, I suppose immediately, even with Enoch, you know, there's this this parallel going. You know, he's being set up for something unique and big, um, as as he points out. Enoch is the only other person who is described as one who walked with God, um, and uh, and and now you have someone again. It doesn't mean he was blameless. It doesn't, but it, but you can't help but get that feeling. There's something something unique about this guy. Um, I know uh, Lee Irons. I remember him saying that this is. Uh, he's convinced this means it's a. Uh, Enoch is a, a prophet. That's the language to to speak of Noah and Enoch as a, a prophetic figure, which I think is is uh, likely. Bruce Walker says some things as well. Walkie at least says some things that um, that, that seem to um, underscore that idea as well. Um, but you know, Yuria. So we're you sort of got this tension, right? Here's this kind of almost like another Adam guy from the from the setup, you know. Yeah. Um, he's not, he's been set up as the one who might bring in the rest. He's, he's walking in that way. He seems, he seems like yeah. he's doing that task. And that blamelessness um, is typological pointing forward to Christ's true and perfect righteousness. Right. So, I mean, like, as yeah. you know, we're, you know, whether, I mean, I suppose from their perspective, they're not seeing that ultimately yet, but yeah. from our side, we know, okay, there's something obviously connected there. And then he gets commissioned to design the vehicle that will bring them through the waters of judgment to, to the new creation. You know, uh, this is, so because of his obedience and, you know, his unique mandate from God, as it were, 
um, you know, people are brought through the, the, the catastrophe, the end, the apocalypse, uh, or, or I shouldn't say apocalypse because that means revelation, but, but you know, the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the end, the judgment yeah. to bring into the, to the, as literal a new creation as you could ever imagine, um, before the new creation itself. And, um, the design of the ark, as he points out, it's fan, it's, it's amazing. This again, is oh, yeah, a study on its own. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember looking quite a bit into this. It's really like, even from as early as Josephus, they were getting into this. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really quite like oh, the, the whole thing with the tabernacle and yeah. like the whole horizontal vertical, vertical thing. I don't know if you've looked at that where, uh, you know, you take the take three the tabernacle. tiers. Three yeah. tiers, you got the holy, most holy, etc. Yeah. But but so you, you got the bronze it... feet for the outer courts, which represents the earth, and then you got the silver feet, which represents second heaven, and then you got the gold, which represents the third heaven. <laughs> it's like the three layers. Yeah. Yeah, you take you take the the horizontal, you put it on vertical, and you've got this kind of three three structure thing going on. Um, so, anyways, all of that's in the ark. Go see the article because that's. That's, he brings a lot of that stuff out. It's just the way that they process the cosmos then as well. Like you've got the dome covering and and then the water. So it's it's not like we would do it today. I mean, we've got perhaps the the outer space kind of idea and and the heavens and the skies and then the earth. But they thought about it as the you know the the waters beneath the earth, the earth and the heavens above. So they had this three layer thing that he he brings in to show how the ark is relevant for all of that. Um, but Maybe just I, a point on there, yeah. Um, we must mention hydroponics <laughs> because uh, <laughs> the relevance of the waters under the earth as uh, one creationist guy highlights is, you know, it's, it's when the, the waters burst forth is that it's to prove that the hydroponics theory, which is all about the tectonic plates and where the water actually came from. And uh, it's, it's actually just a sign. Yeah. It's a scientific statement according to certain views. And I, I just appreciated the, you know the redemptive historic you know the the redemptive typological sort of approach to the whole thing dipping yeah. into the cosmology as they understood it yeah. not reading science. it through the lens of science what a classic example exactly wow. classic wow. example yeah, yeah and so, so i mean you know and you've got inspiration and inerrancy and no one's denying that but it's like it's just that it's not what it's going for you no. know it's because it's, <laughs> i mean you'll you'll miss that richness yeah you're not putting yourself in the audience worldview you're putting yourself in your own worldview and trying to make it answer questions it's not meant to yeah. answer yeah now all right now on that point not getting caught up even on that issue but, <laughs> but thinking about like this whole this is what the arc is supposed to represent now a cosmos you know yeah just do my mic there but a cosmos um so you've got the whole cosmos represented by the arc it becomes a microcosm of the whole thing and you've got the man noah who rules and reigns over the whole cosmos everything is in submission to him you know in this arc and uh you know he has been one who is obedient to god who through this renewed sort of like little microcosm is now creating this this new creation it's a little little bit of the new creation that's about to uh, come forward you know comes and through just, the judgment i mean isn't that amazing just just how bringing his is... children with him his yeah. offspring he shall I mean, see his offspring and rejoice oh, it's like you know every just that limit there of what of what adam was supposed to do and this is the re I bring this up now because it's going to be relevant in a second where you think about the Adamic uh, cultural mandate and um, you know, what Adam was tasked to do to bring uh, mankind into that rest. He was to have absolute dominion, right? In yeah. that way. So what we just, what we see in the arc there is what Adam really should have done. 
he had it for a while and he lost it and you know he didn't ultimately uh, do what he he wasn't obedient he didn't he didn't bring about this um opportunity for for entrance into noah sabbath rest um and so you know he failed but what noah is doing there is in his absolute dominion not through fear the animals aren't like fearing him and cowering away and he's not fearing the animals it's just like this this picture of of actual absolute dominion that yeah. that cannot otherwise be obtained so a keep that on us yeah, a little foretaste, because then that must be, I think, contrasted with the refracted cultural mandate that happens when you get onto the, uh, you know, after the flood and everything, where it's almost like the shadow fades a little bit, and now we get back to reality, and it sort of sets yeah. the, the the term for for the long um, the long haul that sets the 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 par parameters for the long haul, and you see how different that is to the picture actually, and I think that's an important idea as it sort of. Uh, just uh, makes concrete the idea of common grace versus this uh, redemptive grace idea. But let me not jump ahead there. Um, <laughs> I think the whole, um, the fact that this, uh, just before we get to the flood, the fact that the word covenant gets mentioned for the first time is important. Yep. Um, it's not important in a theological sense, but it's just like, wow, okay, we've talked a lot about covenant and here's actually where it gets said for the first time it's kind of a kind of a jolting point in some ways because you're like wow really you know there's so much that's happened in Depending the text on already. your hermeneutic yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so you, you know and a lot of reasons a lot of people do go astray on that point they they're like well you know we'll start thinking about covenant theology at, at this stage but but up until this um, or assume there's no changes it's just all one and the same because uh, you know yeah, yeah yeah something like that um, but you know, just Dumbrell playing on our yeah. Dumbrell, exactly. Yeah. So playing on our previous episodes, there we're, we're going. No, we, there's a lot that we've said and already established by way of covenant. And yes, is the first time it gets mentioned. But and that's not the ultimately significant thing about that. It's just that the way it gets mentioned is important in order to establish what kind of covenant this is, in contrast to what happens after the flood, because um, people talk about the Noah covenant. And I'm not necessarily going to argue that it shouldn't be called that, but you just need more specificity. What, what do you mean by that? Because there are actually kind of two Noe covenants. And, uh, and are we talking about like the Noe covenant where he represents all of creation kind of thing, uh, or at least is the one being spoken to when, when all of creation is addressed? Or are yeah. we talking about the thing that happens prior to the flood that, that leads to his physical salvation and entrance into that? typological new creation what are we talking about yeah. so uh you know we've mentioned this before let's go through it again because here's where we got it from uh is the guy who's really brought it out uh as he says you know one way to answer the question is just to look at the nature of the covenant described in each instance so first prior to the flood in chapter six um god makes a covenant obviously there with the individual Noah. And um, and you've got all this is what could be missed, right? In, in the um, in the English translations, but you've got your singular pronouns going on the whole way through. So you've got to yep. mark that. You've got to note that that's not plural. You know, it's not the you all or y'all singular. <laughs> you know, so that means that he is speaking to Noah, and that's different from what we see later on. So just you know that that marks it down very clearly already. Um, thank you, Van Pelt, for highlighting the Hebrew mm. singular. Such pronouns. an important point. Such yeah. an important point. It's so basic. Study your pronouns, you know. There it is. Um, second. Sorry, you want to say something? No, no. Just, yeah, just want to underline all that. So good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Amen. Second, um, the uh, covenant is uh, different. You know, you can see like the what, what, what's being spoken about. The ones talking about 
I'll save you and your family and get yeah. you through this flood. The other ones, I'll I'll make sure a flood doesn't ever happen again. That's exactly. a totally different thing, you know. So we're we just on that alone. Even if you miss the the Hebrew nuance with the with the personal pronouns there, I mean, you can't miss that one. I find this to be like when I hear people talk about you know one redemptive covenant with Noah, and yeah. they don't. I find this to be the most unforgivable thing you know because like really you know have you not read the thing there it's not yeah. even talking about the same thing you know you've got to just anyone who looks at that carefully has got to at least acknowledge that point and do something with it but i find it just gets glossed over completely um in any talks. yeah and so joe boot gary williams yeah. all those views that are trying to push for a theonomic approach for a social gospel approach for mm. a huge uh cultural engagement approach trying to mm. draw on the cultural mandate as a a way of articulating the mission of the church because as it was given to Adam, so it's just repeated for Noah and now it's also for the church. Hmm. If you don't see these two covenants, you're going to be swept along with that that, that way of thinking. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll come back to something else I want to say on that one. But third, third, just as he points it out to you, is that... Um, I love this point as well, where, you know, you've got a very vivid distinction when God remembers Noah. Um, uh, this quote from Walkie, uh, unlike English remembered, which refers merely to mental recall and entails um, having forgotten, the Hebrew term, especially with reference to God, signifies to act upon a previous commitment to a covenant partner. So what you have in mind with this, um, with this covenant that's being made is something that has gone before a previous covenantal commitment and then he sort of leads out with the question well you know what covenant could that be you know um what what do we know uh has happened before and and is it possible that this is a new a new covenantal arrangement and he goes well you know whenever a new covenantal arrangement is made there's always a cutting of a covenant not a remembering of the covenant yeah you, you've got to you've got to keep that in mind that the again the words are different um and uh, and these are not like these are not mediocre ideas. These are quite vivid. So he's not, you know. I think it's you can almost emphatically say this is not a new thing. Yeah. So something he's remembering something already established, which on its own is almost like a, a proof of all, all those previous episodes that we've been talking about. Yeah. And he makes the point um, that 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 uh, the Hebrew word frequently frequently translated to establish should be better translated as to confirm. So every time you yes. see that word establish, think repeating of something confirmed. Yeah, you know, that's or good. confirming something already begun. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Um, and so uh, here we are with um, with the, the Genesis 3.15, right back in, in central view. So yeah, covenant I, I actually, can I just yeah. say that I really appreciated this point. He mm -hmm. says... Um, then to what previous covenantal arrangement does the covenant of Genesis 6 verse 18 refer? The best answer locates its antecedent in the redemptive judgment of Genesis 3 verse 14 to 19. Yeah. Um, I know that some Kleinian views like to sort of start with Genesis 4. I really appreciate that it went all the way back to Genesis 3. I think this is this is this made this made a lot more sense to me. Yeah. Genesis Genesis 4. Why would they? Uh, <clears throat> just in terms of, uh, you know, if you're establishing a basis for common grace, a lot of people uh, will look at no, well, cities and, you know. No, well, uh, Kleinian views would never go back to Genesis 4 on this point. They would go, the, the after the flood one will go back to Genesis 4. Okay. So, okay. Well, there you know we what go. I mean? So that, that you've All got right. to, that's the whole, that's like the thing that sets a Kleinian on fire. 
you want to see <laughs> if you want to see a client manifest and, and burn immediately uh, well, you, yeah so basically this one goes back to the idea is that what is being remembered yeah but the, the parallel dynamic is there so so after the flood again there'll be a kind of remembering but what's being remembered there is not is not um genesis three fifteen, but but you know what, what comes well i suppose what is implicitly there in genesis three fifteen in terms of common grace but but only what, what it's made uh, more manifest yeah, the fact with, that woman continues to live to bear children the fact yeah. that woman can a man continues to work the fact that there is an ongoing war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the servant presupposes a common grace scenario yeah exactly yeah. so and that, that gets made a little bit more vivid with genesis chapter 4 as you said and then it gets formally enacted after the flood but what we're dealing with here and what i think is vital to talk about because this is really this you know just just in case anyone's sort of dialing in on this stuff you know what we're saying here is that what, what what's happening if we talk about redemptive mandates and stuff like that you know anything redemptive and covenant of grace that's happening now before the flood and that's not happening after the flood. So this is where this is where the covenant of grace, redemption stuff is going on. So if you can find a cultural mandate year before the flood, go ahead. You know, then you've got yourself a real a real argument for why we should, as those in the covenant of grace, stop being you know transforming and redeeming things. But but you know th this is this is not where you find it because the reason for that is this is the covenant of grace. This is pointing forward to Christ's work, Christ's work in the in the in the pactum salutis as it's being uh, in, uh, administered in the covenant of grace. And then afterwards, uh, and this is going back to Genesis 3.15, the beginning of the covenant of grace. And then afterwards, uh, we'll see something that, as we said earlier, is kind of connected to the broader framework as a stage, but is um, is decidedly not the covenant of grace. It's not redemptive. It's not transformative. It's not anything like that. So um, it's good. with that in mind, uh, now we come to the flood. Now we come to the flood. <laughs> Now, again, my goodness, I'm thankful we did bring some, when we looked at baptism, we kind of touched all this stuff because I think we're going mad right now yeah. trying to summarize even, you know, because it's just so much good. Next to the recreation, decreation. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. It really is amazing. If you haven't looked at this, uh, speaking to anyone out there. Maybe just one looked, sentence to, to summarize all right, it. All right, the there. flood is presented as a redemptive judgment ordeal that comes to serve as a paradigm for future judgment events. Yeah. The flood itself is an act of decreation while its abatement is an act of recreation. After the flood, Noah is presented as a new or second Adam figure. Yeah. So basically, you know, what you see as you go into this is it's not just judgment. It's not just a random, that's the end, you know. It's, yeah. it's the whole thing is calculated to show how it's redeeming and recreating uh, through God's appointed means, uh, obviously in Noah and the ark. And, um, and so, yeah, just a whole world of, of, of content there by itself. Um, but then we get, uh, let's try and stick to our particular point here, uh, trying to bring out the significance. You get to the, the uh, as Peter calls it, the world that now is, you know, uh, the after the flood, uh, post-Diluvian situation. And, um, and we see that here's where all the action happens in terms of the cultural mandate and all of that sort of thing. God renews all of that. And, you know, it's really powerful because you got uh, Noah as a kind of new Ad Adamic figure in every sense, receiving like almost exactly what Adam received um, as a cultural mandate to begin with. And so, you know, on first reading, you could be forgiven for thinking, okay, well, it's all back on, you know, now, now here we are back to square one it's kind of like almost a dispensational thing you know that didn't work let's start again you know there's no sense of continuity and progression um but 
I think what, what, what we need to say here is there's absolutely progression and continuity. And we're not just reversing and starting again as if nothing happened. Um, we're saying that there's a serious tweak that comes at this point in light of the fall and in light of the covenant of grace. Uh, yeah. Those two things are all important. You can't just carry on as if they didn't happen. Um, and so when God reissues uh, the cultural mandate, he's doing so as he puts somewhere, I can't, can't find a, the exact quote now, but he says he's, do, he's doing this. It's being structured. It's being refracted to use Klein's term. I'm not sure if he uses that term in the essay, but but it's being refracted almost like a like lights coming through a prism and changing it. It's being it's being refracted to suit a fallen situation. That was not the case with Adam. Uh, you know, when he was told to have dominion, there's no such thing as dying. You know, the earth is not going to own you. You're going to own the earth, as it were. Um, when it comes to the the animal kingdom, I mean, again, you you have every possibility of attaining to that kind of glimpse that we saw with Noah in the ark. Um, but now, after the the flood, um, you know, even with Noah's own quick drunkenness straight after he gets into his new farm, you know, like he's the first thing he does with the new creation is get drunk. My goodness! So the fall is is certainly still in play. Um, and so now it's like, you know, when God issues that, 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 that cultural mandate, it is, it, it's working within that paradigm. Yeah. And, um, and so this is an all important point because this means that, you know, we just can't do what Adam could do, you know, and was commissioned to do. And, uh, you know, Noah, even on his best day, wasn't commissioned to do what Adam was commissioned to do. So, you know, any thoughts along those lines are already misdirected. Yeah. But if you've got any yeah. thoughts or coming there. No, he, do, he does say like several significant differences that exist in the post-flood uh, post world, and he actually yeah. numbers them. So he says, firstly, humanity's dominion over the animal kingdom is now characterized as a dominion of fear and dread. Mm. So mm. there's continuity, and because of the fall, discontinuity. Mm. Mm. Secondly, he says, the provision for food in the garden consisted of all seed-bearing fruits and vegetables. Now, however... The provision for food also includes animal flesh. Mm -hmm. So there's continuity, there's eating and enjoying God's wonderful creation, but there's this element of death that's sown yeah, into it. Yeah. yeah. So he just, uh, and then he says a final difference between the world of common grace before and after the flood is the sanction of capital punishment. And that, that brings us to Genesis 9. Yeah, there's five and six. Which, again, it's no small thing because you see that what 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 ends up being a big point is that that capital punishment is not for anything of a, heart, a sin against God, you know, um, which you would expect would be the case if we're bringing it. If this is it, if this is kind of the new creation, and and Adam is now tasked to make sure to keep it clean, as it were, you know, make keep yeah. it all sanctified, and if any evil comes in, he would have Adam's task of crushing the head of the serpent essentially yeah. anything that comes into the sanctuary that profaned it would need to be killed so so basically you would expect something like anyone who blasphemes my name shall yeah. be killed and anyone who breaks that, the first table of the law would yeah. be killed now it's anyone who breaks the second table of the law and, and there's just a notable omission of the first table altogether it's almost like which on its own is just you know common grace i mean that's kind of the very definition of it that god would not bring the due penalty that, that you know upon those uh that that break the first table you know that, that that's being suspended until the final judgment yeah. is what really common grace is i mean that's it's it's just, it's not saying that those things won't be dealt with it's it's just saying that they're not being dealt with now so as to create a stage and so that that really on its own the fact that that capital punishment thing is issued the way that it is 
I think is just, uh, again, a huge point that you spend a lot yeah. of time developing to, um, that I don't think they do spend a lot of time developing if they're trying to argue for some sort of transformative I mean, model. I can imagine being a Jew that Moses had led out of, out of Egypt. Mm. And I would be hearing the law of Moses, you know, you break the Sabbath, death penalty. You blaspheme my name, I will not, you know, you will not be uh, guiltless. You mm -hmm. know, you, you worship an idol, take him outside the city, stone him. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this mm -hmm. hectic, hectic death penalty mm -hmm. stuff. And then you go back and you hear the story of Noah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, only for murder? And you would have, you would have felt that deep contrast between here I am in a theocracy, <laughs> here, here are the laws Moses has given me, and then Noah's got something significantly different. Yeah. And they did. <clears throat> it did. It wasn't not noticed. I mean, they, 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 that was their rubric for understanding how the Gentiles could live the way that they were living. I mean, you've got all these things. They didn't call it common grace, but Van Drunen uh, brings out, uh, you know, he really develops this. I think it was in his, um, if I'm not mistaken, it's his last book mostly, although he touches on it all throughout his, his writing. Um, but in his last book, uh, Politics and Christendom, I think it's called, Hitting a Blank, uh, is... Um, it, it it spends a whole section on this, just how they would have viewed that oh. as as Jewish believers, and you know it, it it's very similar to what we call common grace. You know, it, it's um it was a a kind of law that allowed for existence in some sense. You know, um for the Gentiles, them understanding themselves to have a fuller re revelation of of what was required, um and so. Yeah, I mean those those things are all important. The only thing I he doesn't unless I missed it. Um, well, you know what he does do? He touches on the rainbow, which is good, which is like the sign <clears throat> of of everyone knows, you know, the the covenant and you know the bow, uh, which is uh, uh, you know the Hebrew word for the for the same thing. It's like a warrior's bow, and yeah. so Klein really plays on that. He rips on that idea big time. He's like, well, it's like then like the warrior's bow is at rest, and certainly that works in terms of like God is not making war at the moment on the earth. That's coming later. Now there's a peace, a peaceful yeah. posture, hence the stage. But I think what he suggests is actually better. Um, I have looked at this a little bit, can't go into it in full scale detail now, but but uh, the, what he suggests in terms of the way the rainbow is used, I mean, so the big one would be Revelation where, you know, it's, it's just, uh, a, it seems to me very clear that it talks about God's rulership over all of creation. Whenever the rainbow appears, you, you've got this idea of a kind of, this is, um, this is the glory of God as he rules over all of creation. And, um, and so I think what, what, what you have here actually is just a, a sign showing the God who owns it all, essentially. The God who controls it all is the God that's now making a covenant with creation. Therefore, the security is that, you know, there's just nothing. It's unilateral. Nothing can break this, you know, and, yeah. until God himself. I've heard a third it. interpretation. <clears throat> yeah. And that it's um, instead of the rainbow pointing at the earth, the rainbow is pointing at God. So yeah. some people have taken it because they're probably wanting not, not wanting to see it as a common grace covenant, but rather more in line of the redemption. A progression of redemption it's mm. like just as god walked between the cut pieces yeah you know they they point the rainbow it's god pointing the bow at himself and taking yeah. the punishment I, I mean look i'm fine <clears throat> with that insofar as it's an analogy i suppose you, if you got if you really pushed it you'd, you'd end up with universalism at that point you know which is kind of <laughs> what worries me with that True. idea you know True. so but you know insofar as okay fine it's all saying the same thing like god is ultimately we know 
creating this piece temporally uh, for the purpose of uh, the cross, which is exactly that, bringing wrath upon himself. So, you know, I don't mind using those figures in that sense. Yeah, but for common grace purposes, rest or display of his glory. A display of his glory. Yeah, the better yeah. scenarios. And I think what you have then is is quite amazing with he, what isn't given here, and this is something Klein brings up big time, what isn't given here is a reinstitution of the Sabbath or uh, any talk of the Sabbath. There's no sign of consummation entering into rest at all. So th this is very different to what you see in, in, in Genesis, right? Because in Genesis, it's like, here's this cultural mandate, do all these things. And then yeah. the big, I mean, you just can't help. You just, you go into Genesis chapter two, verse one to three, and it's just, whoa, the Sabbath glory. God is seated on his throne. This is what we're invited into. Certainly by the time we get to, uh, to, to Hebrews, we understand that that's the, that is heaven, right? That's what he was called to emulate, to work, to enter into that. Everything God had just tasked him to do had that as its end, the Sabbath, the glorious finality, the telos of all creation. Yeah. And this is just to, to the fact that this is all repeated again and now just omitted completely. You know, there's no there's no talk of Sabbath at all. But instead, what you have is talk of a rainbow. It's almost like what is what is happening here is that that you could say that they're two different signs, right? The 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 one yeah. is a sign of the covenant of redemption, or at least the the the, the covenant of works ultimately yep. that that Christ will earn for us. Do this and live, and rest yes. is the reward. Yep. And there it is, right? Sabbath means that. And then when you go rainbow, you're thinking about the same God, but really the the, the two kingdom sign here is is in place because you've got the, the that that which is um, the King who rules over all of creation and the King who promises redemption. So yeah. I think that the rainbow and the sign work hand in hand. Uh, sorry, the rainbow and the Sabbath work hand in hand, but the, they um, they're different. And and the fact Amen. that there's no Sabbath and there is a rainbow is something that that people have to reckon with. Um, yeah. And that's the distinctiveness of the Noah covenant as a common grace covenant. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. And we have the, to recognize that distinctiveness. It does function differently. And that's totally. why we describe it as a stage and not as part of the main drama working itself out. Yeah. And you see this contrasted again by the time you get to Mosaic covenant, because there again, you know, you've got the Sabbath coming to the very forefront of it all, because again, common grace is being suspended. And, yep. you know, now you've got no rainbow. <laughs> There's no rainbow in Israel, so to speak. Uh, there, there, is, uh, there, there is Sabbath, though, and uh, everything there is, too. Yeah. Also, like what Van Pelt said about um, the flood throwing the promise of Genesis 3.15 into crisis. You know, yes. there was this promise of a, of a deliverer, of a savior who would come. And then if God's going to kill the world, then, well, that promise is not going to get fulfilled. Yeah. But then with the establishment of common grace, it's a reestablishment of the stage so that, that mm. character can walk out, Christ can walk onto the stage mm. and fulfill that promise. Brilliant. So, yeah. Yeah, preserving, just setting it up and pushing, <laughs> pushing the narrative forward. Yep. Preserving a humanity from whom the human, the, the seed of Amen. the woman could come, you know, preserving a humanity from whom the nation could come, from whom the seed yeah. would come. Except, and preserving yeah. humanity from which a people can be saved. It, totally totally <laughs> which is why it's still in play you know yeah, yeah um exactly exactly right now uh you know and this is where we get into the theonomy debate and everything because like well um you know it's all done redemption is accomplished but you know i mean like if, if you go the theonomy direction and you go well let's get rid of Noah, let's get rid of all the stuff we're talking about let's just go uh gung-ho back to israel and um and really do it all over again you're effectively saying you don't need that common grace 
to to allow f- for people to exist for whom the gospel can come and penetrate their darkness you know you just yeah. re- you remove that essential part of the picture even yeah. after christ if you so, said a political kingdom that kills sinners how are you going to preach to save them yeah exactly yeah. so christians are just uh you know resigned to a prison ministry of getting people off death row that's the only way we evangelize yeah that's yeah. In, in, in a theocracy yeah. Yeah, and to be uh, to be fair, we've mentioned this before. They do say like, okay, no, you know, because I mean, that, this was the big squabble. <laughs> this was the big squabble with Bunsen and Klein. Bunsen was like, um, no, I mean, we, it's only until we get majority. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and so then we, anyone who disagrees with the oxy gets death, <laughs> including Christians, including Christians. Any anyone, uh, you know, it's not just unbelievers that have to worry about. It, it's the poor Baptists at that point. Yeah. We we go back to being persecuted. So yeah, no, it's. Um, it's it's problematic but you know to be fair they're not just saying bring out you know the weapons and go crusader immediately now um, uh, to move from the uh, profound to the mundane should mm-hmm. we discuss the offspring of the, the offspring of the serpent survives oh uh, well i think and you know Hamson. yeah uh, yeah let's do it i mean this this is what he ends off with and i think it's right because one of the big things there i think is just to see because as i see it it's almost like imagine you're running an extension cord from genesis 3 15 all the way you know you got this big flood event that kind of all right that cuts your power you know yeah. and and then you need a way to reconnect it again afterwards in terms of like what's happening in genesis 3 15 how does the how does the story keep moving past the flood because that's really been the end of the world and the yeah. new creation and we've just realized noah got drunk so that means we're still in yeah. the fall but then yeah, but uh, what, what i wanted to get to was what does it mean when it says ham saw his father's nakedness well i mean what i would say the primary meaning and i think he does point this out is you know beyond what one might interpret the actual sin to be the the way the reason it's worded the way it's worded is to bring out the 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 fact that this um you know you just are shot straight back to nakedness in the garden right you just there you are you were what what was satan doing in the garden he was there to uncover adam's nakedness that's what was happening he was he was his goal was to see adam naked uh unable to screen himself from the divested of his royal investiture right (laughs) <laughs> exactly so so the you know the the fact the very fact that the narrative frames it that way whatever happened it's almost like it's almost like a moot point what happened uh, the the fact that he came into the tent no less you know and, and like this creeping serpent with that mission to uncover and and see his father uh, you know ashamed in that way um you know this this is to show that he becomes the 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 seed of the woman that was uh, seed of the serpent at least that was spoken of in the garden and yeah. and that then as i say puts this massive like connection of power together because then you go all the way he becomes it's specifically mentioned he becomes the the father of the canaanites and you know we know what happens there and, and how the holy war idea transpires in israel and then the true israel with jesus who kills the true enemies of god so it all becomes this one big I mean, yeah. without this story, you actually would would have a big void. You know, where, where's Israel? Where's Canaan coming from? Why do they matter yeah, so much? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, recapitulation aside, you yeah. know, he he does give some options for trying to understand the exact nature of his sin, and he gives four four options. You know, voyeurism, castration, homosexual rape, paternal incest, or maternal incest, uncovering your father's nakedness, being your you know the father's wife. Yeah. Basically, slept with his mother um you know i had i guess 
um, in my studies, eternal incest. Just leave it alone. Leave it alone. <laughs> well, I mean, it's 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 out there yeah. now because you know you can't help. You can't. We're, help we're you in a world of, of homosexual theology, liberation theology. You know what you and, remind um, me of right now? It? You remind me of like a Ken Ham guy. Really? Yeah, it's like you're like trying to talk about dinosaur fossils. No, We've just no been talking about like the lineage and the seed of the woman. Now you want to talk yeah, about but, like. Yeah, but you still have to answer. That there are questions to be answered. No, I what was the nature of not, I say you just missed you missed the point. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, I'll be Ken Ham. So I, I guess um, I, I always, I mean, I had someone say to me once, you know, that it's it's absolutely irrelevant. God just chose to make this an issue of blessing and cursing. Um, Can I just start the video right now? And if you really like it, just hit subscribe <laughs> on this bell right away. No, anyway, <laughs> so Van Pelt seems to lean towards maternal incest as a possibility. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Which I thought was quite interesting. I hadn't heard that before. So I just wanted to mention it. Yeah, yeah. They're all, it is a fascinating discussion. I yeah, mean, I've heard but, the paternal incest one, but not the maternal incest one. Yeah. I find it so frustrating, all that stuff, to be honest. I think that's half the problem for me. I'm like, if I can't get the answers, I don't even want to look, you know? Because it's just like, I mean, you're going to come up with a half-baked answer at best, you know? So just, and, and look, you know, if I write an email to someone and I don't make so clear because what because you're I'm only worried about your questions. I'm worried about everyone else's questions. Well, okay, but I'm arguing <laughs> that the Bible is framing itself in a way that is bringing you to ask the right questions. You ask the wrong questions, you get the right yeah. answer. I think I'm quoting Nick Cleveland there. Yeah. Um, so, so the idea, if I write a letter to someone or email someone, and I don't want them to focus on the trivial part of what I'm saying, you know, I'll leave out the details. It's just how communication works. You know, I'll bring the focus to where it should be brought. And and if that person is sort of asking, probing on the on the exterior, or the periphery, you know, it's like either I failed to communicate that properly or or you know like he's missing it one of the two is happening so i think with these sorts of things i mean you know the bible just doesn't give us enough information to work with to actually solve that problem yeah. now is it just is that just an omission is that just like a failure on the part of the biblical author or is that because like it's enough to get it's your attention yeah. but it's it's like it's vile you know that much it's a bad sin you know uh it's something bad happened it's obviously really bad it gets the curse of ham for crying out loud you know yeah, it becomes good. the canaanite uh but the thing you're actually called to focus focus on is the wording that is being used, which is this nakedness theme. Like, where did that come from? Well, you know, now your obligation as a student of the Bible is to go, all right, let's think about nakedness. How does that work? And of course, you've got this massive deal, even, I mean, my goodness, even Christ on the cross, you know, receiving the cursed in nakedness. And, you know, it's just, you can go all the way through to our being clothed in glory. And, you know, it just becomes a profound sort of theological code word for the theme that I think is meant to be focused on so it's not it's like it's, yeah. it's actually the opposite like my my concern is often not that that's the that's the trick for me I, I, i'm like i, I, I want to know what's i do going wonder on. though whether you know the original audience knew what he was saying where we don't know as much where yeah maybe, well it might have been maybe the maybe maybe the language is specific enough to figure it and, out yeah but now in that case i would put it in the category of baptism for the dead you know because like no doubt they knew what paul was talking about there you know yeah. Um, but like we don't, so yeah. I, I, you know, I'd even put it into the category of spiritual gifts. <laughs> just a few, few I just, I just up. like the fact that I've now got a stronger option than paternal incest. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, there we go. Well, <clears throat> that's good. So, 
Oh, oh, um, let, let me read part of his conclusion and we can we can end it let's end it that, I mean, that, let's, so let's just last... nail the the double covenant part because i think that's, so you're that's, going to start that's... with this covenant of common grace because that's 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 the, you got to start there if you're going to read that last bit don't don't leave that out God. so halfway through that last last paragraph there uh co- even just slightly above so oh, okay. he just what he All does right. he, he 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 contrasts genesis 6 with genesis 9 <laughs> and with regards to genesis 6 looking at the two covenants that we must recognize he says The covenant recorded in Genesis 6 was an individual, bilateral, redemptive administration of the covenant of grace fulfilled in the preservation of Noah, his family, and a remnant of the animal kingdom in the ark. So there's something very particular going on in Genesis 6. Hmm. The Noah covenant recorded in Genesis 9, on the other hand, is a universal, unilateral, non-redemptive administration of the covenant of grace, restoring and securing the principle of common grace suspended during the judgment ordeal of the flood. And that's, I guess, he's circling all the way back to where he started. Um, cool. That's good. Now, before we go, we have to just spend a little time appreciating what's going on there. You know, we've just sort of bypassed it as if it's not a thing, but really it is a big thing. Firstly, how, I mean, those are a lot of books, Nick. That, <laughs> and, and that and that little pop culture two-age sojourner thing, it's just... Good. It's, I just want to thank Kmart for uh, <clears throat> all the paraphernalia that is special <laughs> we do have kmart here in new zealand except it's not the same thing it's like the australian kmart which is like okay. america's kmart like different apparently a yeah. <laughs> so, um, man, okay, anyways, don't you think this backdrop looks good and the way i'm seeing it here it's like just books 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 yeah it's books, it's what it's all drowning about. in books it's actually a corner there yeah yeah, I can see the corner. Yeah. Good. Well then, I think it's an upgrade. I was getting sick of that piano and guitar in the back and, you know. Yeah. It's kind of like, dude, what am I focusing on? Are we doing theology or what are we doing? You know? Yeah. It's like de-psyching me. You know? <laughs> now you can uh, identify Barvink and there's, there's Barvink over there. Right over there. Institute's behind there and there's like George Whitfield over here and hey, guys, I, can, I can see, um, is that uh, right on the top there that's Burkhoff. Warfield, right? Oh, Warfield, yeah. Warfield, you got, you got yeah. to have the, the, the token. Uh... Have I got Warfield? There's Warfield. Oh, no, I got that. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Warfield, <laughs> uh, yeah. We should try and. Yeah. Token, uh, David Dixon, Machin uh, Isaiah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> got some Burkow over there. So, surely, surely all of those books behind you must have made this podcast better. Surely. Definitely. Otherwise, what's going on? The pure osmosis effect would have, yeah. would have hit us today, without a doubt. Sucking in. Whoa. Either that or it just would have drained us, <laughs> <laughs> left us powerless. So anyways, I'm going to see this guy in a few days' time. And uh, I don't know if we actually are going to manage to record live because it's just so technical. I don't even know where to start, but we'll try. We'll, we'll, we'll have a go and see how, see how it goes. And until then, thank you for joining us. And uh, next time we look at the Abrahamic Covenant with awesome. John Scott Red. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. So long. Farewell. Avidas and good night. Thank mm-hmm. you.